Hello and welcome to Heart Yoga Radio. This is the third part in our series where we're exploring the question, are we going to see an economic collapse in the UK and beyond? So this is what we've done so far. So part one was about the past and various things which have triggered economic collapse historically. And then the second part, which was actually in three parts, was about the present, what's going on now. And in these three parts, we talked about the economy, the ecosphere and culture. And then in this last part, we're talking about the future. So we're doing past, present and future. And we're going to be moving from the things that we're seeing in the present, which are good indicators for what is to come. So first of all, what are we being told is on its way by our media and our most excellent and upstanding and not corrupt at all, Your Honour, uh, politicians? Was there something uh, going the rounds about sunlit uplands and stuff like that? Yes, the sunlit uplands was was a thing a little while ago before <laughs> before the wheels just came off the bus and it just crashed into a ditch. I do believe. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear! Oh dear! Oh dear! Oh dear! <laughs> sunlit uplands. It struck me this morning when I was, I was doing my habitual shout at the radio. Uh, <laughs> We both do that every day, don't we? We should shout at the YouTube or the radio. I was shouting at Radio 4 Today programme, which runs from 6 Well, that deserves a good shout every day. That that does. Yeah, They've got a little bit better lately, and it's probably because they've been told to turn on the Tories, you know, and the hardcore Johnsonian Tories, you know, the Tory cabinet. They've started giving them a bit of a rougher ride. I think that might be to do with they don't want to get caught on the wrong side of history as much as anything else, you know, because it's all looking pretty dire uh, at that end. But uh, So what were they saying today that deserved a good shout? Well, they, they, they dragged these economists on uh, who don't know their arse from their elbow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and who've never done a day's work in their life. Just making it up as they go along. Uh, making it up as they go along. And I'm just picking up that there's this story that's trying to get itself told, you know, and circulated, which is quite a rousy tale about, oh, there's there's, there's, there's a shortage of jobs. So, so, okay, there are some consequences with supply chain and shit like that. But... It means that workers can, can can bargain up the price of the labour, and so there is now uh, in some sectors there are there, there are increases in wages, which in real terms is for the first time for a few people for for getting up for, for twenty years and probably for forty years. It's in many certainly cases. not across the board, isn't it's it? Been it's been just very, a few been, sectors where this. Wa- is wages have been been very very stagnant. But so we get in this rosy picture, and then the, the GDP bouncing back after the pandemic because apparently the pandemic is over now. what's it killing the th- it's, only oh, ki- yeah. it's only now killing a thousand people a week Ugh, yeah so 
Oh, and let's not forget that it's, it's definitely over because Johnson visit, visited a hospital on a PR stunt and uh, refused to wear a mask. Apparently he was asked three times to wear a mask when he went in yeah. the hospital and was shaking elbows with all the doctors and nurses who were all wearing masks. And despite it being the uh, concrete policy that you should definitely wear a mask, he decided, no, I'm going to stick to my oh, guns yeah. but just because I need to express to the public because the... Uh, the uh, Express to the public that the pandemic, pandemic. is completely over. Yeah, he's a walking Ugh. propaganda machine. Freedom them. Day. Yeah, yeah, he's a walking propaganda machine. Oh, so we, we, anyway, we're getting these rosy tales, you know, and there's this bouncing GDP, and this has been told across uh, on the other side of the Atlantic, and I think in uh, in various parts of the world, we kind of been jollied along, I would say. So they're trying to paint a rosy glow that the yeah. economy is actually yeah. improving. Yeah. And of course, the stock market—you know—it's it, it it remains remarkably stable for now throughout <laughs> uh, th- throughout the pandemic and you know through all kinds of difficulties over the last ten years. The stock market is kind of through fairly uh, heavy twisted manipulation. Yeah, well, I shall mention that that that, that as well. You know. I mean, if you take a closer look, well, there's jobs yet, but we've got this, this this massive precariat workforce. They don't get any holiday pay, any sick pay, any maternity leave. They're ostensibly self-employed. They can get kind of sacked at a moment's notice or called in at a moment's notice in the middle of the night or whatever, Deliveroo and Uber and uh, a whole lot of uh, precariat uh, w- workers and... Difficult to unionise if you think about unionisation in the old terms, which seemed to require people being herded together in factories in the thousands. So so they're actually over lunch when they're eating the sandwiches. They start discussing politics, you know, and out of that, they, they, they very quickly figure out, well, if we just stop now, <laughs> the shareholders are going to get mighty fucking pissed and that might be a bit of fun. Yeah. We might also be able to extract some better conditions. You know, an extra few days paid holiday or a wage rise and so on. So over and against that, that rosy picture, I would place, well, let's just look at employment really. And actually, where, where there are shortages, let's look at that really, which in, in the UK is in very large measure due to the xenophobic exclusion of, uh, of migrant workers who traditionally fleshed out the the, uh, the UK workforce, especially doing jobs that the indigenous people don't want to do. Fruit picking, vegetable picking, meat packing and so forth. So over and against that, the picture, you look a bit deeper, the picture isn't so rosy. Uh, Visually, the stock market, we know that the the stability, in fact, like the, the, the steady increase in the wealth of stockholders capitalists is in very large measure again it's not due to huge increases in productivity it's to do with quantitative easing money in other words money plucked out of thin air by the central bank being handed over to their mates in the banks and then handed over from there to their mates in the corporations at zero interest rate so very very cheap credit Sometimes at negative interest rates, so they're paying they're paying people to take the money off their hands that they're printing. <laughs> which the you can't the, make it up, can you? No, you, know? you can't make it up. I mean, <laughs> which the directors of the company then just nip over to the stock market and buy all their own stock back. 
thus inflating the price. Which, of course, yeah. as we know, you know, supply and demand, just yeah. basic, your basic Adam Smith, the price <laughs> goes up if there's a lot of demand. If there's more demand than supply, the price goes up. So they inflate the, 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 supply, the, the price of the stock. Now, if you're the CEO of, of Amazon or whatever, you know, some, some huge company, it's almost certain that you will have, have a contract of employment with that, with that corporation which says if you increase the stock price, you'll get a bonus. And, you know, and the bonus might take the, take, take the form of some extra, extra money in your pay packet, an extra million pounds this year. Remember, these people do earn enormous seven, seven eight-figure sums of money, you know, and more even. You'll get you'll get a bonus, but we'll 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 give you a, a bonus in the form of some stock options, and then nearly all always got stock. And uh, so that's how that's how that's worked. Of course, it's kept the stock. You imagine you think, well, how can the stock market kind of go up when productivity is stagnant or going down? And because it's a big fiddle. <laughs> because it's actually like a big, big, fucking Ponzi scheme. Yeah. It's a huge Ponzi scheme. Which can't last forever, really, can it? Well, you kind of think, when, well, when is the shit going to hit the fan? Yeah. You know, when is the shit going to hit the fan? Because, well, it's a Ponzi scheme. Somebody ends up holding the bag at the end of the day that's worthless. The bag suddenly becomes worthless and some poor sucker, the last sucker is owning it, you know. So do you think the public are buying this story? It's very hard to put this. Uh, yeah, well, probably you know, you know, there, there, there is. I mean, I've seen people say that because Trump made all these claims. Because you, if, if you look very superficially at the state of the economy under Trump, it was doing really well. If you looked a bit deeper, like I was just kind of like, yeah, he scratched the surface a little bit, and it's not doing very, very well at all. It's in a completely untenable and dangerous uh, uh, state of instability. But people say to me, oh, you go on about Trump, but he's... I would get people uh, message me with this, you know, or tweet, tweet or something. Say, you go on about Trump, I said, but he's actually... Look at, the, look, look at the great stuff he's doing with the economy. Uh, actually, no. No. You know. So it, it looks better at the surface than it actually is. But, of course, now the big bugbear on the, on the horizon is, is inflation with the possibility of stagflation. Which was the the, the thing that that uh, brought governments down in the seventies, where you had a stagnant economy and inflation at the same time. Econ- economists couldn't understand how that could possibly happen. How, how on earth did that happen? You know, it didn't it didn't make sense in in some of the older models, or the Keynesian or or uh, classical economical. Just m- explain models. what stagflation is, just in case uh, there's anyone. Well, stagnation. So the the economy in terms of GDP, which is a phony measure, but you know it's probably the it's the easiest way you can get some kind of broad impression of the the activity in the economy. Uh, uh, just not increasing as it's supposed to. It's supposed to grow year upon year. You know, capitalism needs it to grow two, three, four percent year upon year, and this is generally thought to be good. Obviously, if you start then talking about the fact this this is infinite growth on a finite planet, it starts looking not so good. But nevertheless, it's universally thought to be a good thing because people's living standards improve and so forth. But it but they didn't. But at the same time, there was inflation, 
which meant that your money bought, bought less and less at quite an alarming rate. It, was, it went up to 20% a year. I mean, it wasn't Weimar Republic where it could be a 1,000% a day or some, I don't know, figures like that. Just, they had to change the prices in the shops quicker than crypto, you know. It, it, it was like every, every, and it was just going up and up and up and up. Every hour, every half an hour. So people did literally take barrel loads of money to go and buy two apples, you know, or a pound of potatoes or a box of matches. Deutschmarks were in, in the Weimar were printed with a million, a million mark notes and stuff because it just went, it went completely, completely crazy. That's hyperinflation. But we got up to twenty percent in my lifetime. But we were, I mean, we, uh, I, I was working then. I was a, um, a union, union guy. We went on strike. We had a national strike. Um, a million public employees went on strike. That and we got a wage rise. We got eight percent, but by the end of the year, it had been inflated away, and we were back where we started. It took us two weeks to make them focus their minds. You know. Wow, that's, that's quite good. Yeah, but it's with you. Know, I, think, I think the idea was, it was like with you, two days. I know it was, it was about three weeks, or you know, like two days the first week, three days the second week, just escalating it. You know, I forget exactly how it went, but we just we went on strike, went back to work, and then went on strike a bit longer, went back to it. Meanwhile, the negotiators are working, but in the end, we got we got the we got they buckled and we got eight percent, because by this time there's no bins being emptied, no tax, but no council tax being collected, no, you know. <laughs> all, all kinds of shit not happening with these unskilled workers like, like, <laughs> walk, walking out, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I do like that the the, uh, the pandemic has hopefully showed a lot of uh, so-called unskilled workers, you know, the power that they do actually have and how that the country would grant to a halt if the, the, the bins stopped being emptied and people stopped turning up at uh, the, the shops that sell yeah. food and essential supplies and medicines yeah. and people you know, people who work in the doctors and the hospitals. and The strike is still an incredibly powerful weapon yeah, in, is, in the yeah. hands of the working class, yeah. especially a general strike where all workers come out. And I hope that we do get round to it in, in the next few years, I think. If God, I... I'd love to be a fly on the wall at uh, num- number 10 if Johnson's still in power by then, if that happens. Oh, man, yeah, oh. They, they, they would, they would poop, poop, oh. poop themselves, you know. Anyway, well, the, the upshot of that little uh, digression uh, or introduction is that the kind of rosy glow that's being painted over the economy by uh, the Radio for Today programme, which is staffed by a bunch of bunch of kind of Tories for the most part earn which goes out for three hours a day and which gets six or seven million listeners bear in mind that the sun doesn't even eat a million uh, million readers and the Daily Mail I don't think it's a million readers so its influence I would say is probably quite wide and it's 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 enormously uh, biased towards the Tories, and they, they they I would say were were amongst the main culprits, and perhaps even the main culprit in the the vilification uh, of of Jeremy Corbyn and the and the destruction of the Corbyn yeah. Corbyn project. Those arseholes. So the, there is influence there, but the, be aware we're being told this story. So that that that's 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 the bit of the present that's facing the future, you know. And I would 
say you, you dig you dig a little deeper you take a little look around and we're being this rosy glow is actually a load of superficial shit and con- concealing something pretty uh, scary about the economy you know and that is that it's very unstable particularly when you understand how this stock market thing how can that go on I mean you don't take the PhD economics to, to figure that out. Yeah. Having said that, PhDs in economics are often s- sort of economically illiterate, you know. <laughs> it, I mean, here's a, here's a little aside, and this is the thing that Richard Wolff put out the, uh, the other day. Richard Wolff does a weekly kind of economic news. It's, America, it's American biased, isn't it? He, 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 was going, he goes through lists of all the strikes that are going on in America, you know, and this movement... In America, and it's not exactly a conscious movement, but this phenomenon of people just texting their employees and saying, I quit, fuck you. You know, and James up from the internet's done a lot of funny stuff about that, but they're, they're leaving in the millions. Yeah, and it's happening here as well, actually, isn't I it? I think now? it's happening here. To, I think it's happening here people, as well. Because, partly because the conditions in the UK that people are working now get worse and worse and worse because. So if you've got a factory in, say, or, or, or any workplace where, say, 30% of the workers are from Europe and they've all been sent back in the name of Brexit, um, they're, they're really struggling and sort of being forced to almost just, like, pick up the workload of these, these people mm. who, who can't yeah. work in the UK anymore. So they're just being kind of worked to death. So they are yeah. just saying, well, fuck it, I'm off. Yeah, and for good, good on them, really, because it's yeah. Yeah. The, great, the great refusal. Got to, yeah, I got to push great, back against that. The great refusal. So anyway, Richard Wolf, uh, just to tell this story. This is this is just the introduction, by the way. And I say it's a, it's, a, it's a bit rambly, but I think <laughs> I'm trying to paint. I'm trying to paint one of those huge sort of Victorian genre pieces, you know, like, yeah. that's, that's the size of a football pitch, but it's got like teeming with life and things happening, you know. Um, <laughs> He tells this story anyway. Richard Wolf tells this story, and he said he's, he's, he's an academic, so he reads scholarly papers on on the economy. And he read a paper by a guy called um, I forget the guy's first name. He's called Rudd. Is his second name, and he's an economist at the the Fed, the Federal Reserve, which is the United States Reserve Bank. It's the biggest reserve bank in the world, possibly the most influential economic institution in the world it's probably more influential when push comes to shove than the world bank or the imf or you know the financial stability board or the the fat f or any of these wallers you know the fed and he's so an economist at the fed and he writes this paper about inflation and richard will say it's a really good paper actually and he makes the point that inflation which we've now got and which is worrying economists. So obviously you, somebody from the Fed's going to try and get to the bottom of it. And he says, well, everybody's, um, what they're doing is they're approaching it too simplistically. They're saying that inflation is due to X or due to Y. It's due to money printing. Or it's due, it's due to labour shortage, so labour's pushing up the price to labour. You know, or it's, it's due to a bad harvest. So I don't know, whatever. But he says it's, it's always multifactorial, it's always multi-causal got a lot of factors it's very complex and he goes into this and Richard will say yes yeah, so far so good I mean I've got I've got no quarrel with the guy you know this is this is this is good scholarly work you know and then he said uh, but the thing that sh- struck him 
there was a footnote on page 10 or something, and in this footnote, this guy, this, this Rudd, Mr Rudd, Dr Rudd probably, says, um, of course, he, he, you know, I'm paraphrasing, he said, but of course economics isn't, isn't a science, it's actually just the, the ideological verbiage of, of, of the status quo, you know, it's, it's exactly just propaganda, economists are propagandists, you know, to, to cover up the criminal goings-on, of governments and corporations. And this is a guy who works at the Fed, puts that in a footnote. And it's like, I, I wish I'd got the passage, actually, because it's the most purple prose. It's utterly gobsmacking that a guy at the Fed producing this scholarly paper on inflation. Very interesting and something that we need to be trying to get our heads around. Puts that in a footnote, you know. And it, I mean, that, that to me, I mean... The rest of Richard Rolfe's news was it was interesting, but this thing stuck out to my mind. Like, if there's a rune to read, that's it. That a Federal Reserve economist will condemn capitalism in the most purple uh, language possible and condemn the economic profession for its ideological role. Because economics is not a science. It's an interpretative art at, at best, you know. But because they deal with numbers... And because they really like statistics, it can look very, very scientific, and you can produce computer models and all kinds of stuff. It's like it, it's really strange. It's an interpretative art, but with a massive factual ground. It needs a factual ground to be any good, you know. To, uh, but but it can't predict the future. The future, you know. Maybe in the future, this is something for the future. We'll have AI, quantum quantum computer AI. Bearing in mind that the quantum computers can model enormous uh, numbers of, of discrete states, you know, just even the smallest quantum computer we've got now can give us two to the five hundred discrete states. That means you can model massively complex phenomena like weather or climate, but also perhaps like the economy. So when I mean, they do use computer models, they in fact in the past they've used mechanical models. They try and model. The economy, but that is going to get a lot better over the next ten or twenty years. If we're all still alive by if then. If we're all still alive by then. Anyway, I am. I'm sort of painting a very detailed picture, and I'm just way, way over in the corner here with that. So there, there we have it. This, this is sort of what we're being told, and how what we're being told is at variance with, at least as far as I can ascertain, what's going on underneath, and that the situation is far more dangerous than anybody's saying. That's just on the level of. Economy. That's just on the level economy. I mean, I know we've put this as a question of economic collapse, but I think this is a question of civilizational collapse. Really big economic collapses do become civilizational collapses. So, and, and we've sort of thought about we've thought about the UK, and obviously we're putting a focus on that. But the the UK is not not an isolated entity, you know. No, no nation state is is that isolated. It has its own peculiarities and its own detail, but it's, it's locked up in this great generality of the world system. There's only one economy in the world, and there's only one climate. There's only one ecosphere. But there are actually lots of different cultural manifestations, which, of course, on that our third system, the cultural one, is, is one that's a lot more diverse and... Uh, I wouldn't say fragmented, but myriad, you know, just uh, lots of variants. 
So, uh, summarising that kind of ramble around, around the, 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 the now economy and the way in which it points towards the future. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm summarising, it's more dangerous than we're being told in general, than, than, than the propaganda outfits which we call the media are uh, feeding to the people. And I would say that this is, uh, you know, it's for public consumption. It's an attempt to calm the mob. Because I think we, we do actually now, in many parts of the world, have, have a mob. You know, about, about to emerge. So in our previous discussions in these podcasts, we've been talking about the interlocking systems of economy, culture and the ecosphere. So how do we use this analysis, drawing all of these these three into thinking about the, the future of, well, not just our country, but the rest of the world? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that. that. That that way of looking at things helps us to kind of dig uh, uh, deeper, you know. I mean, we've scratched the surface and exposed the rosy glow that's been sold to us to keep us quiet. And But now we can kind of dig dig even deeper. And the way I would employ the, the, this, this systems metaphor of these three big systems is to... I don't know, arrange the systems in a triangle, you might say, with like the economy at the top apex, or at one of the apexes of a triangle, the ecosphere at another apex, and culture at another apex, and then to draw the lines between them. And the three sides of the triangle are the, are the, are the interactions, the relationships, the entanglement of each of the systems. And so we've got three entanglements you know, we've got the the entanglement of the ecosphere in the economy. We've got the entanglement of the ecosphere and culture, and we've got the entanglement of the economy and culture. We've got these three entanglements, or three relationships, three dialectical relationships. And if you look there, that is where you find the tensions and the struggles, and the struggles between peoples, and the struggles between ideas, and the struggles between factions. Of, of the world economic system, you know, the, the people who are involved in that, the internal struggles of capital, you might say, and the internal struggles of, uh, that go on inside the elites and their system, their subsystem. And and it's, those tensions do point towards the future because it's the way they play out that will, de- will determine the future. But obviously it's very complex. And it's, I, say, I keep saying it's a fool who predicts. And it depends how this mob that's emerging mobilises itself, you know. Bear in mind the, the, the word mob isn't a swear word, it just stands for the mobile. You know, in the 17th century they talked about the mobile and it got shortened to the mob. But it's mobile, is that just mass of people that can rush down the street and then rush down another street, you know. Rush over to the Versailles Palace, you know, or storm the Winter Palace or storm the Post Office. At, in, 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 in Leningrad, you know, or in Dublin, for that matter, you know. Or can stand outside the COP26, shouting, waving the banners, playing the drums, doing dressing up in their costumes and, and, and all the rest of the, the palaver, you know, and haranguing the politicians. As they uh, should. Uh, as, as indeed they should. 
So, so why I propose doing that is because that that is where you need to look. It's where you need to look. And it did occur to me because we're on the last day of the, the COP sixteen in, in Glasgow. Even though it looks as though they'll extend it a couple of days, because it's it's looking like. Is that because they can't agree on anything just yeah. yet? <laughs> well, they've agreed on a few things, but basically, their basic idea is let let the planet burn and and and, and fuck the poor and fuck <sighs> the poor in the poor countries, you know, fuck the poor in the rich countries and double fuck the poor in the poor countries. Seems to be the uh, the, the the message that we get. Well, that seems like a nice balanced conclusion. <laughs> And I might be being a bit, a bit, a bit dark on that. You know, some things, uh, some things have been, have been agreed, but the it, poor might have something to say about that. Actually, it, it, well, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not great. And uh, you know, I know I'm sounding like a, an apostle of catastrophism. You know, I mean, here's a little side note. I discovered the, last week that the, the, the University of Heidelberg in Germany, which I think is a venerable university. There is a department or a centre for apocalyptic and post-apocalyptic studies. <laughs> is there? Yeah. It's, <laughs> That's it's, brilliant. Oh, I, I love know. that. It's named after somebody. <laughs> it's, it, it, the person's name escapes me. I'm just, it's a part of like advancing senility. It's, it's like the names don't sort of lodge in my brain, you know, unless I really make them. And because and, and I encounter so many, I have to be a bit selective about what I'm going to try and remember. But it's named after somebody who I suspect might have been a theologian or something. But yeah, the Department of Apocalyptic and Post-Apocalyptic Studies worked that out. God, I'd love to know what kind of people apply for that uh, course. Yeah. So on top of all this rosy glow we get it, we're getting around the economy, we're also getting you know a lot of greenwash thrown at the fact that that an the eco catastrophe. And it's not just climate; it's soil and sea yeah. and forests. Uh, and and species and insects and pollinators and coral reefs etc uh, uh, et uh, just hurtling down the pike yeah I wonder if it can get get even more ca- ca- catastrophic before I uh, deal with my triangular uh, system <laughs> uh, on top of that there's this 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 cold war being fomented with China Oh yeah, we've got that. To look uh, forward which which, to which as well. stands a reasonable chance yeah. of becoming a hot war. John Pilger has been talking about the coming war with with China for sort of five years, and he's, he's a very canny sort of fellow, you know. But you know, it's 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 fucking dangerous the game that they're playing. So the, so there's this geopolitical instability, which is a part and parcel of the uh, the, ge- the 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 geoeconomic instability that we've just outlined. You know that, and we got, and God knows where inflation's going. It could, hope it could become, it could become, uh, you know, more intense. Some economists say, "Oh, it'll stop. It'll stop. It's just, a, it's a temporary thing because of COVID." But others are saying, "Well, that's it. Now it's embedded. It's going to go off to, to a 1970s type scenario." And I mean, what what will happen uh, to the public confidence in money? You know, if it goes too far, you couple that with de-dollarisation, which the, the the Chinese and I understand why they're doing it, and they should do it. They're trying to uh, uh, put together with Iran and um, and Russia and 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 other parties over there in in East Asia. We've already mentioned strikes, mass quitting. Demos. There's demos every every day all around the world, and 
and there's unrest everywhere in the world. And uh, the people, the cop, you know, the, the ones that got a bit of sense of warning. So, well, there's going to be such movements of population. Yeah. We've already been warned about the world's first uh, climate famine in southern Madagascar, where all the crops have failed and the place is just rapidly turning into a desert because it's stopped raining. And people moving to other parts of the island. I mean, they, they, this this causes unrest like nobody's business. So that you know, it's so, and and future pandemics. Or is the world going to be be prepared? You know, and of course, mass movements of population, of course, is a, a great way of of uh, shifting pathogens around the place as well. Oh yeah. You know, so it's not looking it's looking great. So that's me being a little bit. There's a catastrophist there. But I do say, and I keep saying, crisis is opportunity. You know, all is in disorder under heaven. This is a very good thing. As Chairman Mao, apparently, the psychopath said that. But, but there is a true thing, crisis is opportunity. And if you focus on COP26 and look at the relationships, the sides of the triangle, if you like, the relationships between our three systems... In the light of COP26, I think a lot of stuff comes out in very, very sharp relief. It jumps out. It jumps out because of this, you know, oh, it's a very interesting confluence of this long-planned world conference. In fact, it was, it was postponed from last year because of the pandemic. It didn't happen. And I'm not going to do a, a review of the COP26 here because when it's over, I'll kind of re- read the communiques and so forth and we can, we can do a couple of podcasts on that and, and attempt to appraise. I would say at the moment, you know, it's, it's pretty Parsons egg. It doesn't go far enough and it's not looking that great. And, there are, you know, pe- people just, just, just plain refusing to do anything about coal, you know, and so forth. So, first one to look at, the first... First set of relationships that I want to look at is those between the economy and the ecosphere. As brought to light by the COP26 conference, now on its last day. And the big wrangle on the last day has been about money. It's been about the dosh. Because there's been a, a, a motion gets passed. They don't fucking see they pass motions and don't do anything. But a motion has been underscored that like $100 billion should go from the rich countries to the poorer countries to uh, to help them mitigate. Because some of these small island nations, uh, everybody lives like one foot above sea level. Uh, uh, small sea level rise and they're fucked. They're going to have to evacuate entire populations, cultures, languages, ways of life. Maybe you can drop them all down in Nebraska or somewhere or Wyoming. You know, what, like the whole of Bangladesh. Well, um, well, but Bangladesh will be uh, a lot of Bangladesh is, is at sea level. It floods anyway. Mm. They kind of get used to the fl- the flooding to a certain extent. It's much, in as much as you can, but for it to get any worse, you you probably have hundred million people displaced. Who knows what the number is? But huge. I, I presume they'll all flow in. They'll, they'll all flock into India. You know, and there's enormous um, Indian nationalism, xenophobic uh, feeling and hostility and violence, real violence against Bangladeshis.
because they're Muslims. Oh. <laughs> you know, a lot of them. Not all of them, but a lot of them are Muslims. Mm. So there's, there's all that kind of shit uh, going down, you know. But it's, the point is here, we have a conference on the, the, the ecosphere and on the necessity to, to halt global warming or at least slow it down to 1.5 degrees over the next, whatever, 50 years or whatever. And the, the, the wrangle on the last day, the sticking point is the money. And the amount of money is 100 billion. Hundred billion was promised at the last COP. And I think that maybe even the one before, but for a number of years, the first world, the the, the global north as we call it, the rich countries in the world, have promised to pay to help these small island nations and to help the poorer nations to do their bit for climate change, you know, and to maybe even leapfrog possibly, and to you know to miss out the fossil fuel stage. They go straight to the solar panels and the wind and the hydro, and. Uh, to serve their energy needs and it wasn't paid it was promised but not paid and is that going to happen again and there's there's there's, there's, there's a big it seems to be fairly rancorous wrangle about that now just let me put that in perspective for you the US military spending the United States of America it's military spending it's defence budget defence haha is I think at the moment, round about seven hundred billion every year. Trump put it up. Biden's put it up. It goes up. Yeah, Biden. Seven hundred billion. Wow. Yeah, it's like it's like three quarters of a trillion getting onto. <sighs> Worldwide, that budget is a trillion, a trillion dollars. A trillion dollars is spent on weapons of war, on machines of death. Many of which get used. We can't like we can't. Some of them like like two pence to to, to save yeah. the planet. <laughs> now we took the, the the proposal that they're having a, a huge wrangle about at COP twenty six is hundred billion. Let's just get a bit more perspective on that. Jeff Bezos, who until recently was the richest man in the world, but I think uh, I think Elon Musk overtook him last week or the week before when he earned thirty billion in one day. Earned. It means his stock price went up because there was a there was a bit of a hike on the on the graph, you know. So Jeff got displaced down to second richest man in the world. Uh, J- Jeff Bezos's personal fortune. When I asked Google this morning, <laughs> "Hey Google, what's Jeff Bezos's personal fortune?" And uh, Google told me that it was. I didn't write it down here, but it's two hundred. It was over two hundred billion. It's like 216 or something. It's like, it's such a huge sum of money, you forget the odd, the odd 10 or 20 billion, you know. It was well over 200 billion. So Jeff, so if we, if we kind of like took half of Jeff Bezos' personal fortune off him, we could stop having this quarrel at the, at, the, at the COP26 to try and save the fucking planet for future generations. So... So we can save the planet... Or we can leave those many, many billions in the bank yeah. bank accounts of a few people. It's a yeah. tough choice, isn't it? Really. Yeah. No. So, so what's the the, the 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 message on this? This is this is the economy in its relationship to the ecosphere. So you can see how the priorities lie, right? Share the priorities, like, and, and I would say the message is. Re- I think human beings are actually insane, aren't they? They, they are actually insane. Yeah. Yeah. The, the message is regenerate or die. Once uh, you give it, let's this choose pers- die. Yes, let's, let's do choose that. Die, yeah. Yes. Well, 
<laughs> Maybe Freud was right about this death instinct thing, Maybe. and that the whole the whole planet is in the grip of it. But certainly, it's a feature of fascism that, that fascists will do will go for this kind of do or die, double down, double down, double down. And it really is, if you've got the time, worth watching a film called Downfall, the German film. Uh, and uh, it, it's basically the last days, Hitler's last days in the bunker. Not a cheerful subject, <laughs> but perhaps one of the most powerful films ever made, you know, one of the most powerful acting performances you're ever likely to see in your fucking life, you know. The guy's dead now, might have killed him doing it. Uh-oh. Absolutely uh, wonderful piece of art, very, very gruelling and... You know, not not feel good, mm. but you can understand that 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 that, that uh, unto death, you know, death before dishonor, that nihilism, that death instinct, that means you will just, if it means you'll crash the whole fucking thing into it, you, you'll drive your car at top speed into a brick wall, you know. But uh, but but you'll do it on 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 a, on a global scale and kill fifty million people in the wake of your, you know, and. Uh, <laughs> Given that most of these corporate wallers and and, um, and and the politicians that aid and abet them are, are, are basically fascists, you know. It might sound a bit far-fetched, but I'll flesh that out in chapter and verse in some future podcasts and you'll see that it's absolutely unimpeachable way of looking at shit. So that was that one. Let's look at the way that the economy relates to culture, in other words, to ideology. What stories are we being told about the economy? We've already looked into this and said, you know, we've been put in this rosy glow. Now, let's relate this to COP, because we're taking COP as an indicator, as a litmus paper. There's a canary in the coal mine, you might say, as a way of bringing into sharp relief the way our present faces off into the future. And again, we are being told we've been given a rosy story. We're giving a rosy story. All oh, these these wonderful agreements. Rishi Sunak and Mark Carney, the uh, ex uh, governor of the Bank of England and governor of the Canadian Central Bank, a very reasonable sounding man, Mark Carney, a liberal, obviously an, an economist and and a central banker, saying, "Oh, we've put this scheme together, and everybody in the city of London's." Uh, all the wealth management funds like BlackRock and all this, so these kind of people, if they want access to the City of London, they've, they've, they've got to produce reports on, on the, on, on the uh, or audits of the climate impact of, of, of their investment activity. These are companies that have trillions of dollars to invest. I think BlackRock's got $9 trillion of wealthy people's money to invest. You know, that's, that's four times the, the, the UK GDP. You know, it's a ridiculous amount of fucking money. And they're going to make them give an audit, you know, and they, they announced this at, right at the beginning of the COP. And then anybody, any, 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 any company that they invest with, as, or before BlackRock can invest with them, they've got to get them to give an audit of what they're, climate, what they're doing for climate, what they're doing for zero carbon. Right? And they announced this with a great fan, fanfare, and you think, oh, that's promising. And I thought, well, yeah, that's promising. And uh, I mean, I, I was a bit cynical about Rishi Sunak positioning himself for the top job, right? Try, trying to show himself as having accomplished this thing. But uh, a bit later on, I found out, I got some, some economists that Navarra Media got on who seemed to me, in my sort of 
quick estimation, uh, competent, somebody who knew what they were talking about said, actually, it's a load of bollocks because it's all voluntary. And they won't do it. Right? So, you've got, again, you've got the rosy glow you have in, uh, uh, on the surface and, and the reality underneath. The reality underneath, the economic reality underneath, is that fossil fuel companies continue to get enormous subsidies of governments all around the world. And the governments all around the world continue to give them licences on a daily basis to open up more oil fields and more gas fields, more fossil fuels, more coal mines. So it, this is obviously this is the working of ideology where you understand ideologies as ideas that are put out there, propaganda that's put out there, stories that are put out there, images that are put out there to make to conceal what is going on, to obscure, to mystify what's going on. So, that the relationship between the economy and culture is one of complete fucking ideology when it comes to the ecosphere. In other words, when it comes to all the matters that have to be discussed at the COP26 conference, which is why it brings that out, you know. So the relationship, this is both of those relationships actually, the relationship between the economy and the ecosphere, the, oh, sorry, between the economy and culture and between the ecosphere and culture. In both cases, the nature of the relationship, the role of culture is to obscure the nature of the relationship, is to obscure the, na obscure the nature of the economy, of the fact that it's making all these noises about how great they're doing in, in saving the planet when the actual underlying reality, objectively, is that they just carry on with business as usual. I mean, they paint themselves, the, 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 the oil companies paint themselves in, in relationship to the economy as the people who've got the expertise. But they've got the technology, the expertise, the people, the funding, the capital, the access to the capital from the, uh, the the wealth management companies, which manage all the money on the planet, in order to save the day. But of course, as I keep saying, you know, we look at the struggles, and what is the struggle here? We look at the we look at the tensions. What is the tension here? You know, what is the turbulence as these two as these systems intermesh? Well, the turbulence is that you've got this ideological struggle. between those who are saying that what the companies are doing is pure greenwash and count me in on that side. This is fucking greenwash. You know, because you can look at the figures and you can dig them up in the public domain. This is greenwash. But the, co the, 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 the companies themselves are talking about corporate responsibility and making noises about corporate responsibility and making noises like Rishi Sunak and Mark Carney about... Oh, we can bring in some kind of like regulation. We can we can insist on the audits, so that people are moving in the right direction. So there's that huge tension between between the ideological the ideological notion of basically ethical fucking big oil capitalism, ah oh, fucking hard on the one hand, and people who are shouting greenwash, 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 blah 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 blah. As Greta Thunberg says about them, all talk. All ideology, and that—that that is the uh, the point of tension that will take us into the future. Who's going to win it? 
Who's going to win here on the ideological front? But maybe even if we all win on the greenwash front, but they carry on doing what they're doing. It's to no avail. They have to be concretely stopped. They have to actually be physically stopped. So, do you think that's possible? Yeah. I do, yeah. Some bloke whose name on it I didn't quite catch has written a book called How to Blow Up a Pipeline. And it's, <laughs> it's, nothing, it's nothing about Ooh. that. He's got no designs for bombs or anything like that. But he's saying that, you know... You know, don't be so non-violent that you won't destroy some property to stop these motherfuckers from wiping life out on the planet. And uh, I have to say he's right. You know, tactically, I think that is where he's going to come to. And the mob will do it. Well, I think they'll, they'll, they'll be just pushed to a point where, yeah. where there, there is no yeah. other option. Yeah, but so... I mean, putting it on an even more abstract level, you, you've got this sort of conflict, tension turbulence between the notion that this is all on the ideological level because we're talking about culture aren't we between ethical capitalism the idea that there's such a thing as ethical capitalism and it is a welcome development and this is a line that's coming out of the cop 26 basically if you if you if you express it at its most abstract level and those again who are standing outside in their tens and hundreds of thousands banging drums and shouting they say no that's an oxymoron there is hard evidence that there is no such thing as ethical capitalism and that you certainly aren't it even if, if there was such a thing. You certainly aren't it. Do you know that 500 delegates, over 500 delegates at the COP26 were from the fossil fuel industry? Official delegates what? who got, got let into the secure, <laughs> the secure zone, you know, is it, the, is it the blue zone or something, where only the, you have to have security checks that go in, where, where the elite go, you know? That's more than, than, than whole groups of countries, like the small island nations and so forth. The people are actually going to be flooded out of their... And how did they nose. justify their existence there? God knows. They're, 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 because they're saying, they're saying, we are the ones with the expertise to put this right. You know, Shell and BP tried to rebrand themselves as energy companies rather than oil and gas companies. Mm. And they did do some... They did do some uh, stuff on, on, on solar panels. I suppose and, their presence there would just give them a bit of extra greenwash, wouldn't it? Well, they're looking for greenwash and they're looking to push this ethical capitalism notion or corporate responsibility notion. Because one thing that's not being considered at that conference, uh, uh, certainly by the loudest voices, is, is, is that capitalism cannot solve this problem. Even though the president, the new president of, of Bolivia, stood up and said that very thing. You know, he's the guy who's sitting on the world's biggest lithium reserves, who um, who the CIA cooed out, and which the people took to the streets and got got their, their left wing government back in. They they pushed back against the CIA because they had a military coup, you know. But the people said, "Fuck it, we're not having it." Elon Musk, incidentally, who obviously if he wants to build these Teslas, needs lots of lithium for the batteries for these cars said with respect to the coup in Bolivia, he said, we'll coup who we like. We'll coup who we like. We're super rich people. We'll coup who we like. C-O-U-P. He really, did he really say that? He said that? that, yeah. You know, he's trying to be he's trying to be jocular, but of course he, you know, he, he kind of betrays his unconscious with, with what he's like, a, a parapraxis, you know. Mm. <laughs> so there, there's, there's, your kind of, there's your kind of system. But I mean... I mean 
just I'm going to revisit this this uh, economy ecosphere culture triangle again and and and, and focusing again and a little a little perhaps a little bit more fine grained but not terribly fine grained a bit more more fine fine grained on the tensions which which are the relationships between these nodes or apexes of the, the triangle again the economy and culture is, is that there are often a lot of shills for capitalism including all of our mainstream media pretty well globally okay we're in there in a context of a, a slow but steady rise of alternative media fact-based journalism you know people that want to take a left perspective etc but nevertheless the mainstream media is still managing to obscure the real power of corporations and the power of the finance companies, you know, say like the black rocks of this world, giants as Peter Phillips called them. They, they, uh, it, it should be noted that they, they, these companies invest an enormous amount in PR companies. And there's only a handful, maybe two or three PR companies, pretty well deal with the world's information circulation. Uh, outside of the tech bros who've got their own thing going on, you know, and they're not necessarily benevolent agents either. You know, an enormous amount of power uh, accrues to the people who control the information, obviously. And a lot of the investment of, of the very rich goes into those companies. They make profits out of it because other companies pay them to do it. Between the 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 the, um, the tense relationship between the the the, the uh, ecosphere and culture. He said, on the one hand, we've got, we do have enormous grassroots movements now. The school strikes that have been going on from some time. The phenomenon of, of an activist youth that isn't going away, that's intensifying. And I just don't, I don't think they're going to take, take any shit. When these kids are in their 20s and 30s, they just, I don't think they're going to revolt into style. I don't think they're going to be more conservative. Well, not they're when they're, uh, you know, they're... they're town is on fire or underwater no they're, they're not no. and also grassroots movement I mean let's not forget that most of the population of the planet probably doesn't want to die Yeah, you know they don't, so that's no. like that's a pretty pretty massive grassroots movement isn't it and they, they, don't, they, they want their children to have a future yeah. and their grandchildren to have a future I mean on this side you've got the, the grassroots movements the school strikes I would expect some unions to become more and more clued up about this, and, and, and the, the unions have been a bit a bit both ways on this historically, because a coal miners union, well they say we'll keep the mine open, you know, mm. of course they do, but I think they're they're coming round now, and that the the unions with the they've got the enormous weapon of the strike at their disposal, uh, with a bit of luck and a following wind, they're going to say, you know. How important it is that they take the side of of, of the ecosphere. Um, there's stuff about lifestyle and organic food and blah 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 stuff of that type. And it's kind of important that can, consumers can wave quite a big stick, but at the same time, we mustn't you, you, you can get bogged down in that. Think that that is all you need to do. You know, is stop swilling your plates before you stick them in the dishwasher, as somebody tried to tell us the other day. Um, there are also experiments in alternative living, communes, um, 
uh, alternative agriculture projects, etc. And that's kind of important because it helps to show you what, what's, what's possible and what isn't. But I think none of this on the cultural level is going to be a real weight unless it's impregnated with a class analysis. We need to understand the way in which the, the crisis impacts on uh, working people. In other words, the, the, the poorer people, uh, both in, in the developed world and the even poorer people in the developing world, much, much harder than it hits anybody else. The top 1% can insulate themselves to some extent from this. Not forever, but to some extent. It hits the poorest, the hardest. And so a class analysis is, is really was the thing that will give all this some juice. I don't want to discount anybody's sincere efforts to kind of try and get their head around this, but really, without that, without a class, class analysis and then the class action, the action based on the understanding that the 1% do not have your interests at heart in any way, shape or form, and then in pursuing their own interests, they're destroying your world, your world, very, very rapidly and are very loath to do anything about it, then we might start to get somewhere. And that, I think, is underdeveloped at the moment. And of course, the whole thing is in, in, imbued with imperialism. A good study is to find out, you know, the history of Iran since oil was discovered there. The way that country was cooed by MI5 and the CIA in, in the 1950s and robbed of their left-wing elected government, um, which was replaced by a monarch, a fascistic monarch, by the CIA and by the Anglo-Iranian oil company, which is a British, a British oil company, which became BP. And that whole kind of bloody history of wars for resources and, of course, going on into the present day, what do you think happened in Libya? What do you think happened in Iraq? This was about oil and capturing the oil resource. Why do you think Venezuela is being besieged with sanctions and having its gold confiscated and unable to trade with the world because it refuses to give its oil, basically, to the international oil companies? The same people that are greenwashing themselves at the COP26. They're bringing a whole country to its knees because it's sitting on the world's biggest oil reserves. And it's saying, and the go it's, its left-wing elected government says, we want to use these resources to benefit our people, to give them education, to give them health care and so on. As far as the uh, Pentagon is concerned and as far as the oligarchs in Washington are concerned, these are, these are filthy commies because they actually want to use their natural resources for the benefit of the people in that country. So it's, got, it's, all, it's all embedded in this filthy, filthy history. All of the ideology that surrounds this, filthy commies, right? That's ideology. Make America great again. We are a great country. It's our oil. That's our oil in your ground. That's our oil. It's, and, and also, are we going to civilise you? We're going to bring democracy and freedom. That's ideology. That's the cultural side of that, that complex.
And of course, grassroots, grassroots, got, uh, nipping back over to grassroots, because grassroots elaborate utopias. They try and think, they try and imagine the future. And I think this is very, very necessary, though with great care. But without that, we, we, don't, know where to, we don't know where to point our rage, you know. And this is, this, I would say, at the, at the moment, the understanding of the, the, the class struggle dimension of this whole complex and the, the ability to focus on a direction, on a plausible direction with, with good strategy that will work and good tactics beyond simply the mob succeeding. The mob can replace stuff, but what, what happens the day after? But in all of those respects, there's a, there's a lack at this current juncture. And of course, all of that, you know, I'm going to summarise that in, in, in a term of attention. It's, it's between the grassroots, the self-conscious grassroots, which is developing its utopias, which is developing its understanding of class and the way this hits the poor the most, which is developing its understanding of imperialism, which is developing its, its tactics on the streets, and in the squares, and outside of the conferences. And online. And online, of course, absolutely, very, very important online. On the one hand, we've got that. On the other hand, we've got corporate capitalism greenwashing itself, telling its stories, elaborating its ideologies, funded with enormous amounts of money to do, um, funding that project of elaborating its ideologies with enormous amounts of money that it's got access to. Remember... You know, it has access to all all of these wealth management companies, which manage the wealth of the biggest, the biggest, uh, the wealthiest people in the world. This is enormous amounts of money, amounts of money which are bigger than the, than the GDPs of very very many, all but the top two countries. In fact, you know, so uh, huge huge power, huge huge influence over government, huge huge money to employ. Uh, knowledgeable people in that technical sense to elaborate the ideology and uh, to elaborate the ideology that they are the good guys corporate capitalism is the good guys the markets will put this right carbon trading will put this right we will develop the technical fixes carbon capture we'll 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 put the carbon back in the ground in the old oil wells that's what we'll do right so you've got those on the one side on the grassroots on the other side, and a tremendous turbulence and tension and antagonism between those those forces. And then I think is the the analysis of our systems that points towards the future, that these tensions will play themselves out. Who wins depends on who, who mobilises. And, and I'd say the grassroots is... Uh, You've got numbers on your side if you can persuade people. On the other side, of course, there's all these, as I mentioned, all this money and power and access to government and lawmaking, which means lawmaking, the ability to make laws, on the other side, ranged against the good sense of, of, of the grassroots. Yeah. And, you know, and they will prize open cracks in the grassroots along the lines of are currently inadequate understanding as, as, as a movement of, 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 of class, of economic class and imperialism. 
and the uncertainty around what is the best thing to do violence non-violence actually breaking some stuff or not you know these the big 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 very basic basic questions but the the future will be determined by this this struggle and obviously by the economic side of it by the ecological side of it because meanwhile that you know the the planet is burning the the uh, the the world's getting hotter the seas are rising the glaciers are melting the crops are drying up people are moving to escape catastrophe that is so enormous that that's in the equation as well and obviously these are enormous forces which have, I hope I've illustrated have many many aspects to them this only scratches the surface. You know, to, to write this up as a, as, a, as a careful analysis with chapter and verse and lots of factual uh, underpinnings would be a book about two or three thousand pages long, you know. So you, nobody in their right mind is going to predict the outcome here, but you can, you can see where the battles will be fought. And that's half the problem, I think. And you can see what what the grassroots, if I can call us that, needs to do. You know, both both theoretically, both actually, both tactically, both strategically. We can st we have got enough to start working that out. Yeah, as you say, to 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 tackle our question and to answer the question of this yeah. this podcast series about are we going to see economic collapse in the the UK, it is. Uh, it's a small question compared with, you know. Yeah, compared with the rest of it, yeah. But um, I mean, there was no way I could talk about this without turning it into a whole question about civilisational. Yeah. Problems. And yeah. we do know that civilisation civilisations collapse. You know, we we know that they do. It's happened. I don't know. Chris Hedges is really good on this, and he's such a pessimist, you know. <laughs> but he's really good on it, and, he, and, and he's quite the historian. And I don't know, he says however many there have been that just that we know of, you know, six or 16. I don't know what the number is, but the, there is a sort of a pattern to it. The question was, are we going to get economic collapse in the future? Are we, are we, is it going to happen? Are we going to get civilisational collapse? I said, we're in the midst of it. It's not like we're going to get it. We're in the midst of it. All of everything I've talked about here is, is us in the midst, midst of it. So the conclusion of this podcast is yes, and it's happening now. <laughs> that is the that is the conclusion, and and, yeah. and in the future we'll see these 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 conflicts, these antagonisms intensifying. Whether they'll resolve, whether one side will win or the or the other side will win, which I think yeah. is unlikely. This all of this will kind of morph, you know, is the way turbulence works. It will kind of morph. Well, it does seem to be such f fast. Changing almost, yeah. uh, well, daily, hourly, uh, black swan events, big yeah. decisions made by governments, corporations, new laws being made mm -hmm. that have yeah. like huge ramifications. Yeah. Um, so it's very difficult to, yeah. as you said, to plus, predict like, exactly how it's going to unfold and when. Plus the people. Yeah. The, pe the people, I mean, the people are ac actors in this and they have agency. I mean, a, a mob has very little agency. You know, and, and I was saying my, my big fear is the right wing capturing the mob. But the mob there will be, mob there is, in the sense of a formless mass of people in movement, in movement who are probably 
in, in an emotional state of heightened resentment, uh, anger, etc. Rightly so. Well, yeah, but especially after the pandemic but, as well. But very often, but very well often, not having a, not not having a cogent analysis of why they feel the way that they feel, other than knowing locally, you know, I've got nothing to eat. Sometimes, you know, yeah. or, 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 the, or the fuckers they screwed me over, I lost my job, mm. lost my house, the banks took my house. How much of this are people going to take? You know, or the town's on fire, and they're still drilling for oil. And they're, waiting, they're, they're praying for the Greenland to melt so they can get all the coal that's underneath it. Or whatever it is that's down there. The Arctic's full of oil, you know, but it's too cold at the moment. It warms up. They'll be able to get it. Yeah. You know. So, but there's a chances are, them, uh, you know, the right will try and capture this. And the right, of course, work for the fucking oligarchs. They work for corporate capitalism. They work for big oil. They work for the military-industrial complex. They've got all these ideologues working for them, so-called PR firms, propaganda outfits, in fact, and the mainstream media, propaganda outfits working for them. They are all part of the same class. And they can present people with uh, ideas that they yeah. can believe in that are attractive to them yeah. and make them feel like they have some power in the situation when, out, well, when in fact, yeah. if they do uh, follow this particular idea to its end uh, yeah. they will just end, com end up completely disempowering yeah. themselves yeah well sky news this morning wants me to watch the uh, the royal uh, national life boasting institute bringing uh, some people some syrians or Li libyans escaping escaping turmoil created by wars for oil to to Brit uh, uh, to Britain, where because they got shipwrecked, the the, the lifeboat picks them up, and a, there's, there's a I don't know, a few dozen people on his lifeboat get get landed in Kent, and there's a whole Ferrari, and there's a profession of people that, that try and tell us that we're in hard times because of those people who are trying to escape <laughs> with their lives. Yeah, in, in very, 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 very many instances. Yeah. So she's blind, of blind. blaming the people who are causing the the terrible situation yeah. they're trying to escape from. Just yeah. blame blame the few yeah. people so, who so, managed. You know, and not not worse than that. We've done a podcast about this. Just in case you don't know, um, we're actually meant to let them drown now, mm. uh, or get sent to prison if you accidentally rescue a child from drowning at sea and turns out to be a migrant. Uh, you mm. can actually go to prison. That is the extreme end of the cruelty of yeah. this government well what what is that what, what is helpful there is that when this when this was announced and um and when various uh, fascist ideologues will go on twitter saying this is this this disgust and the rnli should be stopped from doing this and i mean they, they tried to push that thinking it was going to get some popular purchase and it was a miscalculation because uh, rnli's Donations and they rely entirely on donations. They don't get any government grants. Shot up yeah. enormously, yeah. like I don't know, several times. You know, so that that's kind of heartwarming. As I say, uh, crisis is opportunity. There's lots of hope. There was at, at one point hundred thousand people on the streets outside the cop. People travel from all around the world to be there. Mm. 
the school and the the, the, the school kids. You know, I, I just think the the young people are just not going to take it. The best of them, they're not going to take it. And uh, the labour movement waking up again after 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 being pretty well smashed, and you know, having encountered the difficulty of precarious working, and so forth. That that will wake up. It is waking up. It's waking up. It's it's waking up here. It's waking up in the US. It's waking up across Europe. Yeah, and it's it's waking waking up with uh, with all the uh, the avalanche yeah. of uh, corruption uh, exposures yeah. that we're getting oh, here just... in the UK for, for the, yeah. the with the Tories. Yeah. And I think people are because this is becoming more and more mainstream. It's just more and more every day about how much money they've thrown to their mates or they've got the that they've. They've managed to give them to themselves. And you've got people, you've got children in uh, the UK who are suffering from rickets and scurvy because of like the extreme poor nutrition because they can't afford enough to eat. There's going to come a point where... It's like the Tories just think they can just... They can just openly declare mm. or... Blatantly show how much money and wealth they have. Yeah. With you know Johnson's uh, uh, super yacht that he wanted, um, so he could go around the world and be very impressive about Brexit. I'm not sure how much that cost. Now it was it was millions, many many millions, something like that. So on the one hand, let's have a 200 million pound yacht for, so Johnson can look impressive. But on the other hand, your child doesn't have enough to eat. Mm. Yeah. So. The, as you're talking about people waking up, I think there is going to come a point where there's enough people who are looking at the obscene wealth of the Tories and their friends and then looking at their own lives and deciding enough's enough. Yeah. And Absolutely. that will be quite an unpleasant moment, but yeah. uh, it probably has to happen yeah. unless the Tories get booted out before this uh event horizon uh, yeah. moment comes which is mm. looking more and more likely which mm. is uh, quite pleasing to me watching the news unfold over the last three or four days yeah i'm expecting that struggle to to, to intensify yeah they're not going to go mm. easily but we can see we can see i think now in sharp relief and and, and cop 26 is show, show this. the main tensions that are pushing the world in, in into the into the future but you know we are not without agency in that. But it's you know it, there will be struggle. There is struggle. We are in the midst of it. It's not like it's going to happen next week or next month or will it happen next year. There is struggle. And so things you need to bear in mind. A few things. What you're being told is a rosy fucking glow. Scrape the surface. If you've got time, dig a bit deeper. And the way to look is look for the struggles. Look for the tensions. Get yourself an empirical base as well. Find out how much BP spends on persuading you that, that it's an energy company. There's all this stuff can be found out. You know, you can do primary research, and there's, there's, there is very, very, very good, reliable texts by very able people exposing all of this stuff. You can get yourself a picture of what's going on, but we need to think strategy as well. Because the struggle will be for the hearts and minds of the people who more and more and more are spilling out of their front doors on, onto the streets and into the squares everywhere on the planet. 
Yeah, but you need you need to sort of also be aware they'll be selling you all kinds of geopolitical stuff about China and Russia and so on. You know, you don't have to be a great fan fan of the Chinese government to understand that this 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 is being this this cold war on China is is there for if, for domestic consumption as much as anything else. You know, so there's a whole lot of a, a lot of com complications. But many, 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 many hopeful signs. But we have to, we have to use our agency. We have to develop our agency and use it. You know, I mean, Marx. You know, what's he say? You know, humanity make their own history. We make our own future, but not in circumstances of our own choosing. We've been dealt the cards. And, and what I've tried to say here is, these are the cards we've been dealt. And the clues are in the cards as to which which way we need to point. They do they do show us the way in which our present faces into the future, and it's at these points of tension that it does. Okay, I think that's everything for today. So, thank you for listening, everybody, and we will speak to you soon. Make knowledge great again. Hope everybody's having a good apocalypse. <laughs>